Okay, guys, let, let's pray. Let's let's take a minute here and pray. Okay, Father, thank you for um, being able to get together, Father, get away a little bit, and um, and be together, Father, uh, just as men. And Father, we pray that uh, as we look at this idea of what it means to have grit, Father, that we'll see that um, you are interested in marathon men, Father, f- people that men will finish the race, Father. I know that uh, there's going to be guys in this room going to be around after I'm dead and gone. And Father, uh, it'll be their turn uh, in a lot of ways to lead in this church. Mm-hmm. So Father, I pray for you. You bless our time together here as we look at... Um, a man in the Bible who had grit, and uh, we pray that we'll become true sons, Father, um, of yours, uh, and be used in a powerful way in your kingdom, we pray in Christ's name, amen. Okay, um, I don't know how many of you brought a Bible. Uh, it's it's a good idea to bring a Bible to a men's retreat, um, and, um, you know, just be thinking about that, fellas, okay? I don't know what... Uh, what you were expecting, but uh, some of you aren't prepared. You're not prepared to learn anything. And um, you're telling me that you're wasting my time. So for a lot of you, I'll make it as brief as I can. And for the rest of you that want to learn about this, uh, this idea about being a true son, I'll try to be as clear as I can. How's that? Okay. Um, I read this. This I found this is in a this is in a London newspaper. It was an ad. And uh, it's, this is what it said. Men wanted for a hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return doubtful, honor and recognition in case of success. Thousands of men applied to this ad. And it's because of who had put this ad in the paper. This was put in. This ad was put in the paper by a British explorer, an Arctic explorer, by the name of Sir Ernest Shackleton. And if you aren't familiar with him, he was in a race to the South Pole with a lot of other explorers at one time. And he lost that race. Uh, each time he got deeper and deeper and closer to the South Pole, only to turn back. Um, but on this particular, this he had this reputation for being a very edgy, gutsy, gritty kind of man. And um, this expedition uh, would be his last. He would uh, take these volunteers, these men that would would brave this this mission, and try to try to cross the. He would try to well go around the. I guess basically either go around or go across the Antarctic in some way. He wanted to be the first guy to do this. His ship was crushed uh, as the ice froze around it and they, they forced the guys to carry their lifeboats until they found some water to where they safely reached another place it was a it was a 721 nautical mile journey and so these by the way he did not survive he would die of a heart attack and be buried in Antarctica that's what I think is amazing he's buried in the South Pole his wife insisted on it being that way now think about this if Jesus were to place an ad in a newspaper, you ever wonder what he would say? Let me take a stab at it. Men wanted for a difficult mission. You'll often be misunderstood and criticized and rejected by friends and family. You'll face constant attack from an invisible enemy. You can expect long hours, sleepless nights, hunger. 
your life will be threatened, so you may be constantly on the run. This mission will cost you your home, your friendships, your ambitions, and there's a good chance it will cost you your life too. You may not see the rewards of your labor either. In fact, you won't be paid or compensated till the job is complete. And when you stop and think about it, that would be kind of how what Jesus would put. That's the way he kind of advertised what he was about. And you think of the men that followed him, the men that would say, I want to be a part of this. Um, I mean, these guys would do this, and they would build they would build his church. And um, many of them would die for this. They would, act, they would literally die for their faith. Now, guys, I want to tell you something. I don't know of any better task on this planet to give your life to as a man than the task of building the kingdom of God. I mean, it's, it's, it, 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 it's much, much, far, much far better than anything you can imagine as far as a career, whether it be you know, a doctor, a lawyer, or a laborer in a factory. It, 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 expanding the kingdom of God is more important than raising a family. It's more important than raising a family. And, you know, today's society, family seems to be all it's about. And um, I just can't tell you, God needs special men. He needs special men, young men. I, I look at the, you look at the, you, know, you look at the disciples, and most of them were younger men. There was a couple of old geezers in there. You know, Matthew was supposedly an old geezer. Okay, James and John were young fellows who didn't have a lot of discipline, and so they liked to, you know, do crazy stuff. They were some, somebody once called them. They were mercenaries, and if you know what a mercenary is, they were basically hired thugs. You know, if you wanted somebody knocked off, you got James and John to do the job. And uh, one of their one of their top uh, targets in in their society was tax collectors, because so you can imagine Matthew and how he feels being in the same discipleship group with two guys that would love to have somebody pay them to knock him off. Okay, that's kind of something, you know. But these guys were they 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 were tough guys. Um, you know, the kingdom of God is, and being a man of God is, is not for, for wusses. It just isn't. It's for guys who have grit, and um, it's the kind of grit. And I was looking at, I was looking at some, some ideas of what grit is about. And Danny touched on them last night. And it's about this ambition, this passion, and this, this idea of being a person who's in it for the long haul. Like I said in the prayer, God is not interested. He's really not interested, guys, in somebody who can do the 100-yard dash. He's interested in somebody who will do the long race, a race that lasts a lifetime. And so you have to pace yourself. And it's ironic that I'm talking to you guys this morning because as a young man, I would not pace myself, and I had to have people tell me constantly, you need to pace yourself, Tim. And I'm glad I listened to them. I'm still in the game. And you know, I've been a Christian for... I don't know, since 1977, and um, I know it's because I've had to make a decision. Is this going to be a lifelong thing, or is this going to be something like a hobby I'm going to have for a while, and it's going to be gone? I'm going to have to be serious about it. Now, today I want to talk about a guy. Let's focus on one guy today, and I'll try not to be long, because I know know, I have a tendency to go long. But I I want you guys guys to see this, and I want to talk about a fellow that 
that I think the title of the lesson is supposed to be True Sons. And I'm calling True Sons of Grit, a true son of grit. And uh, his name is Timothy. It happens to be Timothy. And if you've ever read the first and second Timothy, and I would, I'd like to encourage you guys to try reading every day for the next week or so. I did it for a year. I read first and second Timothy and Titus every day for a year. Uh, I was challenged by Richard Rogers to do that. And uh, I'm amazed at what the Bible has to say about what it means to be a true son. In fact, Paul, the Apostle Paul would call only two guys that he discipled his true sons in the faith. Timothy's one of them. Now let me give an example. 1 Timothy 1-2, right off the bat in the book, of, the book of 1 Timothy, he says, To Timothy, my true son in the faith. What's that mean? What's that mean to be a true son in the faith? You know, does it mean just a young man? It happens to be young men in this room. Although some of us are getting up there. Aren't we? Alex, Alex, you, you getting up there? Getting closer. And, what, what, where are you at now? 25. 25. Oh, man. They're going to be starting calling you Mr. instead of Mr. Simpson. That's how you know you're getting old. When a kid says, Mr. Gill. You know, but I know that, you know, it, uh, and I know Bob's here. <laughs> Bob has to be here as well as I, so this lesson applies to me as well. Okay. Well, what does a true son look like? And what, what will make you uh, a son with grit? With grit. That's what I want to look at. And I think we see these things in Timothy. Let me give them to you real quick here. Number one, a true son is obedient. You want to have grit? You've got to be an obedient person. What do you mean? You need to do what you're told. That's what sons do, right? That's what sons are supposed to do. They're supposed to do what their dad tells them to do, right? I don't know how you guys are now, but remember when you were little kids? If you, you did what you were told. In fact, that you'd be told, you know, if you, how come you just do what I tell you? Why? Because you're five and I'm 35. You know, I've got a few years on you. And so that's one of the things, the trait of, of a good son, of a true son, is they're obedient. You may want to open that door because it's getting hot for me now. Uh, Proverbs 31, or I'm sorry, Proverbs 13.1 says this, A wise son heeds his father's instruction. What's it mean to heed? It means to obey it. He listens to his father. But a mocker does not listen to his rebuke. He won't listen. He does what he wants. Paul said this to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.4. Promise, he says to Timothy, you know, make this promise. Promise to obey completely and fully all that you have been told until our Lord Jesus Christ returns. He said, you make this promise, Timothy, that you're going to be obedient. Now, Timothy was 30-some years old when this was written. And he's telling his true son of the faith, you know, Tim, I need you to be obedient. So you spend the rest of your life, or until Jesus comes back, being an obedient guy. Obey the Lord. Listen to wise counsel. It's, it makes you a true son. And in 1 Timothy 1.18, it says this, Timothy, my son. You're going to be surprised how many times you hear the word son and Timothy together. Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by following them, you might fight the good fight. Part of the good fight that we have is obeying God. Because the fight is between our desire to obey God and our desire to do what we want. Would you agree with that? And this fight, guys, he's saying is a fight of obedience. And I just think about all the things that Timothy... Timothy had given, or Paul had given Timothy a lot to do, and he obeyed them. He did them. 
So let me ask you this first right off the bat. Are you the kind of son that obeys? Or do you have to be told over and over and over and over again? Not because you just have a weakness. Because you're rebellious. A true son of grit. If you're going to have grit in your life, you learn to obey early. Early. Number two, a true son is close to his mentor, or as I would say, close to his spiritual father. Now this idea of dad and father, I remember when I first became a Christian, I was told, you don't call any man father. Jesus said that. Call no man father. There's only one father. And I said, I had no problem with that because my father wasn't, I didn't care for my dad. I mean, my dad was a tough, uh, was, was not a godly man. And I'm sure some of you here, you, maybe you were raised by a father. He, was the, he isn't that godly. Am I the only person? Anybody here know what I'm talking about? Okay. Yeah, I mean, you look at them and go, man, they're not, they're not helping me be Christ-like at all. The thing uh, I want you to know is that uh, for years, you know, I was taught, based on Jesus' words, you don't call any man father. But yet, the Apostle Paul refers to Timothy as his son, his true son in the faith. And I never had anybody, everybody reconcile that. Okay? And what I've realized is this. It's one thing to, to, to follow somebody so much that it replaces God. And that's what Jesus is dealing with here. But you know, guys, you need older men in your life. You, you need some guys, some older guys in your life. You know, I've got a couple of guys here today because I told them, I, you know, they, they weren't sure if they were going to come to the men's retreat. And if you notice how many, how many old guys there are at the men's retreat, not very many. Not very many. A lot of them stayed home. That pisses me off. To be quite honest with you guys, it really pisses me off. We've got older. I said, guys, we have to. We, you need older men to model, okay? That that are trying to grow. And I want to tell you, when you choose a mentor in your life, you're choosing to be close to them. Let me give you an example. This is a graphic example, and we're amongst men. So I hope you can let me be a little graphic here. It's in Acts 16, 1 through 5. Very interesting passage. This is where Paul meets Timothy for the first time. Let me read it to you. Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra. That's Timothy's hometown. Where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewish, was Jewish and, and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. It doesn't sound like his father may have been a Christian. We're not sure. We definitely know he's Greek. He's not Jewish. It doesn't look like he may have been a believer either. Possible. He doesn't get, get any credit for it because, you remember, later Paul would talk about Timothy's faith and he would say, which first lived in your mother Lois and then in your grandmother Eunice. He doesn't mention Howard here, whatever his name is, okay? All right. <laughs> I made that Howard up, okay. I want to make it clear. All right. Hey, Howard! Howie! Okay, number, verse 2. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. They spoke well of Timothy. Paul wanted to take him along on his journey, so he circumcised him. What? What? He wanted to take him along, so he circumcised him. How, what do you mean, circumcised him? He is what he did. Now, I don't know about you guys. That's been pretty open. 
huh? I'd like to take you along, Timothy. I'd love to go with you, Paul. Yeah, you've got a good reputation, but I've noticed something about you. What? You've got a little foreskin. We've got to deal with that. Say what? Well, your dad was a Greek and he didn't get the deed done. Apparently your mother and father were arguing about it, you know. And she's going, we got to get him circumcised. And he's going, no. So we're going to do it now. Now? If you want to go with me. Because, because we're going to be reaching out to Jews. And if we're going to reach out to Jews, once you start shucking that thing out, they're going to see that in the men's room and go, what? You're not a Jew? I'm not listening to you. So if you want to be effective, we're going to have to take that, some of that off. Now, I, you say, what is this in the Bible for? Well, I find this is very interesting because do you think God put Paul and Timothy together? Now, remember, they don't have a lot in common. Paul has a pedigree of Judaism. Mom and dad, straight up, he's a Pharisee, used to be a Pharisee. Timothy is from a mixed marriage, Jewish and Gentile. They don't have a lot in common. You ever thought about that before? I don't know if that person can disciple me because we don't have a lot in common. Hello? We don't have a lot in common. So I don't know if I can really learn anything from him. Did God put you together? Then if God puts you together, there must be something to be learned. And what I notice, I, what I notice here is Paul chooses Timothy. But Timothy chooses Paul. How do you know that, Tim? I know that because he takes his pants off. And he lets... It's believed that Paul did the circumcising. Now, I don't know. You know, I want to tell you right now. If I was Timothy... Oh, you got to be kidding me. You're going to do what to me? And he's over there going, <laughs> sharp with a knife. We're going to get something done today. It should have been done a long time ago. But, but I, yeah, and he, Paul did have poor eyesight. Oh, my gosh. That's a great point. Where are you at, Timothy? Get away from me. You better take it off, man. But, but I want you to see, but I want you to see something, guys. Here's, here's, what I think is interesting is you've got, I don't even know, if it couldn't have been enjoyable for Paul either. And you know, when you read the Old Testament, you find that circumcising a man is very bloody. It's, it's very painful. So, you know, Timothy's walking around. Let's go. Come on, keep up. <laughs> I can't do it. You know, he knows all this is coming. And yet, Paul chooses Timothy, so I want you to go. And Timothy chooses Paul by saying, okay, and I'll shed blood to choose you. I don't know how close you are to the person that's mentoring you right now, discipling you right now. I bet you're not that close. I'm not, I'm not saying, guys, I'm not saying, you know, drop your pants on each other, okay? I'm not saying that. I'm simply saying, though, that's how intimate we should be. Yeah. That's intimacy, to be that open. Did Timothy have to be circumcised to go to heaven? No. Did Timothy have to be circumcised to be effective where he was? No. But if he was going to go with Paul and learn some things about Paul, and by the way, he would be with Paul to the very end. When Paul was about to die and be executed, he says, Oh, Timothy, come quickly, because everybody's deserted me. 
And so, so my question, and again, is this area of opinion that's going on here in Acts 16? Absolutely. Timothy doesn't have to do this. You know, I know sometimes we, we it's difficult sometimes when somebody's working with us and, ask, and asks us to do something and tells us to do something and we throw out the legalism card. Oh, you're being legalistic or you're being controlling. Or you'll hear somebody say that. What do you think Timothy's saying? I want to learn. And you know what? I'll set my opinion aside if this will make me more effective. And by the way, it made Timothy incredibly effective in the kingdom. It's incredible. And I just want to say, and I, I just think it's very interesting is that Paul chooses Timothy and Timothy chooses Paul. And, and guys, I hope, you're, I hope you, can, you, can, you can choose somebody that when, you, when somebody's working with you, and I'm not necessarily saying it has to be one person either, but you choose an older man and say, I want to learn from this guy. But understand, in order to learn from them, you might have to set aside your opinion and what you want. To learn. Yeah, yeah, definitely older man in the faith. So let me ask you something: Have you chosen your mentor? The one that you, you honestly, you guys, some of you guys, the young adults, have been kind of thrown together. Oh, I'm with this one this week. Yeah, but did you have you chosen? You know, it's so hard sometimes. Is it? Uh, I've had guys that have been given to me, and I'm trying to get close to them. I'm trying to get something going, but they just, it just didn't gelling. So frustrating. And you know why? Because they just don't see the purpose of it all. You guys, I hope you, I just want to encourage you. You know, a true son of grit says, I'm, "God's given me this person just for a little while to teach me. I better take advantage of it." There must be something I'm supposed to learn if God has brought us together. You have to wrestle with that and come to a conclusion. In Philippians 2, Paul said these words, Philippians 2.22, But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father he has served with me in the work of the gospel. Now what I thought was interesting was Paul and Timothy are so close. This is something I didn't realize as I studied out Timothy. I thought I knew a lot about Tim, but I didn't. And that is that he helped write 2 Corinthians with Paul. He's given credit for writing with Paul Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, and Philemon. He co-authored those books. Now maybe Paul is telling him what to say and he's writing it down. He's helping him with it because Paul's eyesight. You know. And Timothy understood that eyesight thing. Man, he was worried about that all the time. (laughs) I'm just asking you, and I'm just asking you to, 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 to look at this. Only you can answer this. How close am I going to get to this person that's trying to work with me, that God's put in my life to work with me. Will I be close to them? Um, here's the third one. True sons, a, true son, a true son tries to become like his father. You know, we end up becoming like our father in some way. You know, I, I go, I, I'm right now putting an auto glass all over St. Louis, and you know what they say? You're Danny Gill's brother, aren't you? <laughs> I said, how do you know that? You, you look like him. And I don't know how to react. Angry? Or glad? I'm not sure, you know. I look at him and go, ah! <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know and, 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 you know, there's things that you're, you know, if you look, you, you resemble, you have some DNA traits, you have some physical traits of your father. You probably do. You, probably, you, you know, it may be the nose, it may be the hair, it may be the ears, it may be the feet, it may be the fingernails. I have my dad's fingernails. My brother has his mom's fingernails. They're short and stubby. 
And so, you know, it's, but there's things about us. People go, Danny one time was, when he was a hellion years ago, was in a bar and someone who used to be a friend of my dad's went, little Jimmy Gill. What are you talking about? He looked just like your dad. And it bothered him because my dad was drank like a fish and smoked like a smokestack and died early. He didn't want to have that. But, you know, so I don't know if it's a blessing or a curse for you personally to have your traits of your father. It doesn't really matter. It's a fact of life, guys. You're going to be like your father in some way. In fact, you're probably going to parent like you've learned, you've been parented. That's what we learned in this kids' class just recently. Is a lot of the, all these parents that were taking this class said, you know what, I'm doing exactly what my mother and my father did. We pick up traits, we pick up values, we pick up habits. We, that's just a natural thing. So if that's true, to be a true son of the faith, shouldn't I become like the one that's working with me? Ultimately like Father, God in heaven, yeah. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He said, he said that several times. But I'm probably going to pick up some of their habits, some of their godly character. I should want to, right? right? Do, I, do I think you should pick up their weaknesses? No, but if you get close to them, you might get a few. You might get a few. Okay? Um, look at here's, here's, um, here's 1 Corinthians 4. Paul is talking to the Corinth church about Timothy, and here's what he says. For this reason I sent to you Timothy, my son. He calls him a son again. Whom I love, who is faithful to the Lord. And what, what, what's he going to do? It says, He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Have you ever said this, or anybody ever, have you ever said something? You're like a father to me. Yeah. You're like a father figure. I had a guy, I had a, I had a campus student tell me just a couple years ago, You're like a father figure to me. And I wasn't smiling. You know why? Because he treated his father like crap. And he treated me like crap, too. He didn't even know it. He thought he was complimenting me. And guys, when you say you're like a father figure to me, are you basing that on the father you've had? And, and again, I'm, I'm somebody that had a dad who was, was a, wasn't a good dad. And so when I looked at somebody as a father figure... I was able to set that aside and go, you know what, that person's... I looked at them as a mentor and as a father figure to me. I'm going to listen to them. Their, their, their testimony has more weight. Their advice has more wisdom. I'm going to really listen to them, especially to get that Bible out. I really am going to consider what they have to say. I want to bounce stuff off of them. I may not bounce off of anybody else. Simply because they are a father figure to me. And so I, I want to ask you simply, are, when you, if you've said that to somebody, are they really a father to you? Now again, I'm not into people should replace God. I don't believe that. But even Paul said, not many of you have fathers. I've become a father to you. He said that to the Corinthian church. In the Lord, he says, I've become that person that helps you. And so there's nothing wrong with listening and even following somebody who's following Christ. And I'm not promoting pick up their bad habits and pick up all the nonsense. You probably will pick up some of that, but definitely pick up their good character, their godly character. And a true son, a son of grit, gets that. He says, you know what, I'm going to pick this up. I want to learn this. Um, Number four, a true son accepts discipline. I've had two sons. If I could rename them, night and day. 
<laughs> opposites. Nathan, compliant, sweet. You know, I even had somebody say to me at a restaurant yesterday, he's your favorite son, isn't he? And I go, what? Well, you're with him all the time. Well, he works with me, for crying out loud. Then there's Matthew. He's different. (laughs) He's like me. And we butt heads. I don't butt heads with Nathan. Very seldom. He's more like Denise. But I butt heads with Matthew. Denise, guess who she butts heads with? Nathan. (laughs) Doesn't butt heads with Matthew. So we tell each other, could you talk to the one I'm not getting along with? (laughs) And tell them to do this. I'll see what I can do. It's a tall order. I'll tell you what, if I'm going to do that, I want you to talk to Matthew and tell him some things. Okay. Matthew and I used used to do this. Nathan would say something. He'd He'd be doing something, zoning out, whatever. And I'd say, come here. He'd be acting up, come here. What? And I'd go, but not head buddy. And it'd be a knot on his head, and he'd go, ah! You gonna listen to your mother? Ah! Okay. Matthew'd be acting up. Matthew, come here. What? I go, and he goes, what? <laughs> and I got a knot on my head. I kid you not. I pulled the same thing at a basketball game, and I had this big old knot on my head, and I'm going, you gonna be good to your mother? <laughs> Please. It's like he had a different attitude. You're not scaring me with the headbutts, Dad. And I learned to discipline him differently. Both my sons had to learn to accept discipline. And so, you know, and what is discipline? Well, it, they, they call it training. That's another word for training. We think of it as punishment. And you know, sometimes we get you know, and and it, and there's it is probably a combination of two. It's not pleasant. In fact, doesn't did the Bible say somewhere in Hebrews that accept discipline from God, uh, accept that punishment as true sons? Because if you were illegitimate, He wouldn't mess with you. So you must be His son. Or that's why He's disciplining you. And, and let's can we just face it? Anybody here like this? I hate it. I hate it. This self-discipline. Discipline from heaven, discipline from others. I don't like correction. I don't like the hard stuff, the hardness of having to live, to learn stuff. But it's a way of life for a son. A son lives in constant discipline. And I'm going to tell you guys, as young men, now early in your life, much earlier than I, I wish I got it had it down, how important discipline is. Even self-discipline. Paul talks about discipline to Timothy. And he says, um, have nothing to do with godless myths or old wives. This is 1 Timothy 4, 7. Rather, train yourself to be godly. He says, you've got to discipline yourself, Tim. I was, I'm always looking at preparing my lesson right up to the moment. And I found a little podcast of a woman. Danny mentioned a study last night about what is grit. I found the person who did the study. Okay. Her last name is Duckworth, and she was speaking a five-minute lecture. Five-minute lecture on grit. Uh, TED, you can look it up if you want this. TED broadcast on grit. Yeah, grit. And it's, oh, she is polished. This woman knows her stuff. And she, and she's talked, she talked about a Stanford University study. 
And what Danny was talking about last night that it doesn't depend on that, that grit is not uh, limited to intelligence. That and she was talking about her students how they discovered her students with less intelligent she would be better sometimes than her intelligent students because they had this determination and passion I'm going to get this done nothing's going to stop me attitude kind of like headbutting Matthew and we used to put our heads together sometimes and push and I'd push hard and he would find a spot in his head I guess that was numb or something and he'd push harder and I'd always back off he always seemed like he had a, like a rock for a skull but that's that grit in him see and but she's talking about, what she talked about was this idea of Stanford University discovered something that we, we know how to gauge intelligence and learn how intelligent people are, and that's about it. We don't know anything about grit, determination. We're completely, completely clueless. But this study revealed that, that when a person understands and, and, and begins to develop a growth mindset, they called it a growth-mindedness. And what they said was they discovered was this, that a person discovers what growth mind, uh, and has a growth mindset when they realize that failure is a part of learning and it's okay. That, success, that failure, it, yeah, listen guys, listen to this. Here's what she says. Failure is not permanent. That just once we told students, did you know your brain is made in such a way that, it, that it's supposed to fail? that failure makes it learn better, they no longer had a problem with failing and trying new things. What's that do to you? Makes me stop back and sit back and go, you know what, I should learn new things and I should be able to, I shouldn't worry about failing so much. I should just, I'm, I'm a learning machine, you're a learning machine. And it takes discipline. Debbie Weiler said this to me. She found an article on the struggle. She, talked, she found a person that talked about the struggle. And what this guy had learned was he had, he, had a, he had a son and he was struggling. They learned that as parents we want to do things for everybody. We want to do things for our kids and kind of take away the struggle. But struggle is necessary if you're going to grow and mature. You have to have it. And, she, and, and, and he said, he goes... One day, I'm watching my son trying to work through this sentence, and he couldn't get it right. And I'm getting ready to tell him, and I'm thinking, no, i got to let him struggle, let him struggle. They're trying, to teach, they're trying to teach their kids, it's the struggle, it's the struggle. It's not accomplishing it, it's the struggle that makes you better. And when he gets done, he finally gets the sentence, and he goes, Whew. he goes, Dad, did you see me struggle? And he was high-fiving his father over the struggle. <laughs> Not that he finally got the sentence right. You know, and guys, you know, what do we do? I just want to get this right. Then I can move on to the next thing. And God said, oh, but I need you to, if you don't, if you don't learn how to struggle and it be a part of life, then we're going to have to go through another problem till you get that down. Because once you get, guys, once you embrace the struggle, that that's the celebration of being a Christian, that's the cool thing, that's the discipline, that's training yourself to be godly. Then, you're, then you, you know what starts happening? You start having grit where you go, I'm in this even if I... Guys, if I fail a hundred times, I'm still in it. Why? Because that's what it's about. It's about learning. Guys, you have a heritage of your church, a long line of flub-ups and F-ups, mistakes. We have messed up so many things and messed up so many times. Oh, if you only... You, you have a heritage of it. 
And, you, and that's why you're in it. You're in something like this church because of all that. Because somebody said, I'm going to have the grit to keep going. I'll tell you right now, guys, I live sometimes a week at a time. And studying out this stuff this weekend made me realize, you know, Tim, you need to live a lifetime at a time. Quit thinking, I'll just go through another week. Yes, you might have to strategize, I'm going to get through today, and then when tomorrow comes, I'll take care of it because it will be in front of me. But my, my long-term goal is to give my life to Christ and let Him use me. That's what a true son is. A, a son understands that. A true son has to accept discipline. And let me say one last thing before I move on. This is very important. If you want to develop grit, you've got to follow through with what you commit to. Listen to me. Please listen to me. Forget about everything else I said. Follow through with every commitment you make, down to the little bitty ones. Every, every commitment you make, I'm going to get with God every day. That's a big, that's a big commitment. Follow through with it. I've, I've, I've gotten together with God every day for over five years now. How did that happen? Before, i come to men's retreats, and I would, I would show people my quiet time notebooks, and there'd be weeks apart where I wouldn't have anything. Ashamed of it. Everybody goes, well, Tim, you're like us. I go, I don't want to be like this. It's not about being like you guys. I want to be like this. I want to have it every day, and I want to see what would happen. I've never grown more. I've never grown more. This morning I got up at 5 o'clock had my quiet time. How can you do that? I don't know. It's just automatic. It's habit now. And I'm glad I, I didn't think I could have that habit. You can have that habit. Make that commitment and say, I'm going to follow through. And if you fall down, you get back up. Somewhere in the book of Proverbs it says, knock a righteous man down seven times. You know what he does? He gets right back up. I'd like to add, and punches you in the nose. <laughs> he will not stop. And guys, I want to encourage you. Don't be afraid of discipline. Oh, this is too hard. This is too hard. You know what? You just wail right into it anyway. Amen. You go right into it and see what happens. This kind of goes into this, the, the fifth point I got, and that is a true son endures. He endures. He endures. I, I thought, what a passage. Listen, this is what Jesus says in Luke 21, 19. This is the Revised Standard Version. He said, here's, the, here's what Jesus says. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. I mean, of all the words he could have said, you know, you could gain life by this, this, and this. He says, endurance. He tells his disciples, endurance. He tells those young men, you want, you've got to have some grit. Endure. You've got to follow through and be, be marathon men. Let me ask you a question. Are you quick to quit? Are you quick to quit? You know, Nathan was always quick to quit. Drove me up a wall. Slightest difficulty. I'm done. Got him a car. Took an airplane. Took a jet from St. Louis to Baltimore, Maryland. Bought this car on eBay. And I was so excited. It was a big secret. I, I tell him we were going out to eat on a Sunday afternoon. We're in Baltimore, Maryland by that evening. He's going, what are you doing to me? And I'm going, oh, we're going to get something to eat. Stop saying that. And we get a car. And he goes, this is my car? Yeah. It's a stick shift. Guess what? He doesn't know how to drive a stick. I pull over. You want to try? 
We go five feet. I can't do it. I don't want this car. Ah, why did you do this to me? <laughs> Happy birthday. By the way, it was his 18th birthday. He's 18 years old. And he's crying and quitting. Somebody call the ambulance. Want a little cheese? Want a little cheese with that wine? You know. And what I'm trying to say to you is, is Matthew's the opposite. At five, he's trying to drive the pickup. I mean, that's the difference between those two guys. Okay? Now Nathan's one of those guys. He won't quit. I'll go, you need to stop. You need to back. You know, I don't think you can do it. I got it. Back up. Where did he get this? How did he learn this? I think it's what I got. He said, you know what? I got to quit quitting. You want to quit something, guys? Quit quitting. Be somebody who can be counted on. Did you read that little passage on your candy candy, candy bag? Yeah. Let me read it with you again. Here, here it is again. Brothers of mine. Sister, brothers. I know some trans- say brothers and sisters, but brothers of mine, stand firm. Mm-hmm. Let nothing move you as you busy yourselves in the Lord's work. Does this sound like grit? Be sure that nothing you do for Him is ever lost or ever wasted. You're not going to... Why? Because giving your life to building the kingdom of God, there's nothing else like it. It'll make, them, it'll make fishermen drop their nets and follow Christ. It'll make a tax collector get out of the IRS to follow Christ. It'll change a couple of hoodlums, a couple of hood, a couple of punks, into men who would love people. And so, guys, I want to encourage you: endure, endure. You know, um, he Paul tells Timothy, "You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Endure hardship like a good soldier." He tells him, "You've got to endure, Timothy. Why? Because Timothy was scared." And Timothy had weak, had a weakness. He was physically weak. You know, he had a physical weakness. God, uh, Paul would have to say, you have to drink a little wine for that to sell your stomach. There's something going on. You know, he had a physical ailment that was just like Paul had a physical ailment. And that's something he became like his mentor, didn't he? He had a physical problem too. And, and he, but he was a timid person. He was a quiet person. And he was a, a, lot of, a lot of fear. So Paul would have to say, have to tell him and pump him up. God didn't give you a spirit of timidity, but give you a spirit of power. You know, he's saying, don't hold back, dude. You're going to have to endure. Be strong and endure the hardship. What kind of hardship? When you learn about Paul and Timothy, you find that Timothy and Paul were together when Paul was stoned. He was in a lot of dangerous situations. Paul would say, I want you to go take care. I want you to stay behind and take care of Ephesus. I got to go. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Time out. Where? You want me to stay? I want to go with you. Well, you're going to have to stay. And, And he says, and straighten some things out. Well, you mean you didn't even get everything took care of yet? No, I haven't got time. I'm moving on. You're going to have to stay behind. Why are you doing this to me? Giving Timothy some stretch. Stretch his face a little bit. You know, uh, somebody asked you to put together a cross chat or do a little talk or make sure you bring something to something and you go, huh? Why, why can't you do it? Well, because I could, but I want you to do it. Because you need to learn how to do this stuff. You need to grow. You need to grow. And, and so, and Paul would tell Timothy, you know all about my way of life, everything I went through, all the bad stuff. You know exactly what the hardship I went through. And he says, now endure hardship. Because you're going to go through it too. And did Timothy go through it too? He went through persecution every bit as much as Paul. What's the last thing? 
I want to tell you, you read First and Second Timothy, guys, and you're going to find out there's a lot of verses I didn't get to use. I've skipped over a ton already on hardship and endurance, all these other things. I got here, a true son pays it forward. I want to tell you, as a dad, I am glad I have two sons. Now, I'm not saying I'm not excited about my granddaughter. I'm, a, I'm excited about my granddaughter. Okay, she's a girl. And I'm excited about it. But you know what Grandpa wants? Grandson. Why? Because the name lives on. You know, God's kind of arranged that sons pay it forward. They, they go into the future. You realize that? The uniqueness of you being a male? Even in our society. I'm not saying that women are bad. Praise God, there's women. We wouldn't be around. There wouldn't be any sons born for women. I get that. But I want you to know that, that as a son, God's counting on sons to pay it forward. He's counting... How do you know that? 2 Timothy 2.2. 2, what's he say? Timothy, my son, whatever you've learned from me, entrust. I think one translation says, pass it on to reliable men who then can pass it on. And I want to encourage you guys to know, I want you to understand, I'm not going to be around forever. I'm 57 years old. My dad dropped dead nine months after his 57th birthday. I'm counting the days. And I'm going to be really going, well, am I going to be on bonus time? My older brother went through 57. And you know what he did? He goes, Tim, I didn't breathe all that year. Now, I, didn't, I don't drink, I don't smoke, and I don't chew, and I don't go out with women to do. And I, mean, I understand that, okay? I mean, I, I've tried to take care of my body. But you know what? I've got some DNA from my, from my father, and I know that heart disease and diabetes and all that stuff's in my family. What am I trying to say? Well, I'm not planning on going anywhere, but you know it's going to happen. Either I'm going to get out of the pulpit or get out of leadership, or I'm going to be carried out of this thing. Who in the world is going to take it? You know, this year, um, I asked Mike and Nathan to do the men's retreat because I just wanted them to do it. I had the time. But, you know, we got to get people's feet wet. we got to let people do stuff. They've got. I remember when I was in my 20s, and <laughs> they gave me stuff. I'm thinking, you sure you want to give that to me to do? I could burn the place down. But how do we learn? And guys, I'm just telling you that a day, there's, the day is coming and the day is here. The torch is trying to be passed. Will you take it? Will you take it? Got two young men right here. They're following you. Will there be a torch to give them? That depends on will you take the one that's given to you? Let me read this to you. This is, this is written by a guy, a Lieutenant Colonel John McRae, and he was a surgeon in World War I. It's the most famous poem, war poem, that's ever been written. One of his buddies was killed uh, during some shelling, and he had to perform the funeral because the chaplain couldn't be found. And so one day, sitting on the tailgate of an ambulance outside of a tent where they did triage, he's exhausted. The sun's coming up, and he looks across the cemetery, and he sees some poppies, and he writes these words. In Flanders fields the poppies blow, 
between the crosses, row on row, that mark our place. And in the sky, the larks still bravely singing thigh, scarce heard amid the guns below. We're the dead. Short days ago we lived, felt dawn, saw sunset glow, loved and were loved, and now we lie in Flanders Field. Take up our quarrel with the foe. To you from falling hands we throw the torch. Be yours to hold it high. If you break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep, though poppies grow in Flanders Field. Guys, I want to tell you something, man. As sons, as sons of the king, and as, you know, as an older brother, if not a father, as an older son, you know, my days are coming. Your days are too. Will you take the torch? Because see, true sons of grit pay it forward. They pay it forward. You know, this talk I heard, you know, I've heard the critics say that Greater Oak won't be here in 20 years. Oh, that made me so mad. Bob knows who said it. His brother said it. And I was angry when I heard that. I don't think Greater Oak will be here in 20 years. I'm like, yeah, it will. And then I get to thinking, but what will it look like? Will it be a little bitty church like we pass and drive by on the way up here? Will our best years be behind us or are they in front of us? See, that rests with me. They rest with you too. Jesus told a story. I'm going to pray. Jesus told a story about two sons. He tells a parable. I think it's Matthew 21. He says, um, Father had two sons. He says to the older one, Go work in my vineyard. And he says, I will not. But later he changes his mind and goes and works. The other one, I guess he'd be the younger one. Would that be a safe assumption? I would think. He says, go work in my vineyard. And he goes, okay. But he doesn't go. And so Jesus asks a question. You think, what a dumb question. But he asks a simple question. Which one of them did the will of God? Which one of them did what, the fa- what his father wanted? I think, which one of them was a true son? The one who said, I won't, but changed his mind. And that's what this weekend, part of this weekend's about, is changing your mind of what you're going to do for your Father in Heaven. So I want to encourage you to be true sons. Be true sons of grit. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this time we could be together, Lord. And uh, thank You for the example of Timothy. Lord God, help us. You know, I know we come here to goof off some and and connect and play. And and Father, um, thank You for that recreational aspect of this weekend. But Lord, we also know we've come here to refocus and, and change and grow. So I pray, Father, you bless, bless the men in this room, these young men in this room, <laughs> anybody younger than me, young man, Lord. And I just pray you bless these guys to be true sons of grit. Father, let them see that failure is a part of learning and growing and not to be afraid of it and just say, heck, you know, throw the dice and let's see what happens to follow you like that, to take a chance and take a risk. 
And Father, let us be the kind of, of sons that are close to the fathers, the father figures in our life, the spiritual fathers, and that we learn the, your, your godly traits from them. And Father, that we can be the kind of men, the kind of men that Ernest Shackleton could take to the Arctic, the kind of men that, that can make those in Flanders Field sleep knowing that the world is going to change. But most of all, Lord, let us be young men, let us be men that make your son Jesus proud. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.